I'm Caddy Diop. And I'm Tafari Ajemian. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. This week we're talking about Two Boys Kissing by David Levithan. I kept wanting to say David Leviathan, and I was like, no, I don't think that's it. The number of times I have gotten David Levithan's name wrong on this show, <laughs> I have called him Daniel Levithan, I have called him David Levithan, I have called him David Levithan properly, I've called him David Leviathan. Like, it's, it's I don't yeah. know why. I've, <laughs> I've loved his writing for a decade, more than a decade, and I, I can't get his name right ever. Well, um, yep. So in continuation with our queer month of August for Montreal Pride, um, Two Boys Kissing is a lovely young adult novel about uh, that centers around uh, two young men who decide that they want to break the world record for kissing and who uh, are basically making out in front of their high school. Um, and it also centers around a few other characters. So there are a couple of other uh, side relationships that are really interesting in this book. So stories about, uh, you know, gender nonconformity, stories about discovering queerness, stories about um, our elders, uh, in the queer community uh, it's narrated by a really cool chorus of uh dead gay men who have died of aids and uh yeah this was this was a really good recommendation tefer a dug it i'm glad i'm glad we hit one that you liked yeah um i finished this book and i cried for like two minutes straight just like sobbing like and it wasn't um sad crying Mm -hmm. it was like inclusion and feeling seen um and that i think is no mean feat for a book um especially for a book like like that is very much about the stories of uh queer gay men queer gay men gay men Young is the word I was looking there for you there. Go. Young gay men, and, and that's not my experience, but there was something about just this sense of continuity, this sense of ancestry that made me feel so kind of held by our queer elders. Mm-hmm. Um, Completely agree. And that is something I think that a lot of queer youth kind of don't get, that sense of belonging in a continuum, that sense of being embraced by our ancestors. Oh, me, oh, my. Yeah, there's so much to say about that because it is true, right? I mean, as someone who grew up queer in the, like, you know, as a teen in the mid to late 90s, it's very much of a thing where, like, there was a strange representation of gayness and it was, like, Jack from Will and Grace and Ellen. And that was about it. And uh, or anyways, that was out and that was vocal. Oh, no, there was Rosie O'Donnell. God, God forbid we, we miss out on Rosie O'Donnell. Um, but yeah, no. So it, it was really nice to read this. And this chorus just spoke to me like it reminded me of like Angels in America vibes and like just. Yeah, it made me think of Tony Kushner. That's yeah. that really is it. Um, it also made me think of rent a lot. Like I it made of... me think of rent a lot, also. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Um, I hadn't. I I didn't really know at first, kind of, what to make of this narration, and I wasn't sure how I was gonna like it going in. And I was just completely converted by the oh. end. I mean, I loved it. I saw a review that called it a Greek chorus, and that's spot on. Yes. It's the chorus, the the omnipotent, not omnipotent, omniscient chorus, <laughs> um, saying you know, giving voice to all of these concerns and say, giving a broader lens for the senses of loneliness, the senses of despair, and also the like, notice this moment of joy. Um, It was really, really, I think a stroke of genius, honestly, to write this book this way. Agreed. Uh, It, it, yeah, my, my little uh, theater, background kind of nerdiness came out and I, I actually had a few moments where I was like I'd like to see this as a play 
Mm-hmm. I'd really like to see this as a play. I think it could work so well. And that chorus just, there's an intergenerational aspect that we, we forget sometimes in, in, in the queer world, I guess. And I think we're getting better at it. I think there's a lot happening now. And like with this being uh, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, like I've heard a lot of reflections in, in, in pop culture and, and stuff. And, it's interesting, but there's no crossover. There's no communication happening, I find. And it's hard also to reach out and meet people who have been through all of this and who want to talk about it and who want to be open and who want to share and who also want to kind of feed this new generation of activists and, you know, I don't want to say warriors, but like fighters um so i do think that that came up for me a lot in reading this yeah i think there's something about being a young queer person for a lot of us our families and certainly our parents have not been supports i know that's true for me um and it, it puts you in a place of not trusting your elders and not feeling like you can reach out and lean on the older people in your life and so i think a lot of the time we make our chosen family really our peers uh but I do think we sort of understand that there's something missing from it. There's there's a sense of loss there. It's really hard to live without elders and without ancestors. And finding that is something that's really profound. Absolutely. You've got to know where you're coming from to know where you're going. And I feel like this is, uh, this is crucial. This is saying that was brought into my life by a lovely uh, person named Deborah Ford. It's so important, right? Like, I mean, and especially when you sit at many intersections of uh, I don't like oppression because it makes me feel like a victim but just intersections of like challenges and I think that there is something really lovely about that because I can speak to uh, you know other African elders but they won't understand the reality of queerness and I can speak to queer elders but they don't understand the implications of being first generation Canadian and I can you know and then oh it gets real muddled and confused and it's a lot of grieving yeah it's a lot of grieving because it feels like you know I certainly am not the first black queer person who happens to be fat and annoying (laughs) no but like you know there are other people and I feel like those are people that I, I want access to mm-hmm. not in a demanding you owe me kind of way but in a like please let's have a conversation and please let me learn from your experience and let me ask you for advice yeah let me actually ask you for advice I was listening to a podcast about the lavender scare in the 50s in the U.S. very interesting um, uh, what was the podcast uh, it's uh, the podcast is story core okay. uh, they did a whole season about uh, just gay LGBTQ issues Um, and the Lavender Scare was kind of during the McCarthy era in the 50s where uh, they were hunting for communists but they were also hunting for uh, the gays in government and people lost everything people were outed and all that but it turns out that it was orchestrated by a man who was secretly gay Um, anyways it's fascinating but in reading about that I was like I want to know what it was like to be you know, to, to, to face so many challenges and to have to live these covert lives and to have to navigate the world because today I find myself now, like yesterday I was walking through a store with my girlfriend and we got a dirty look from wow. some lady. And I was like, part of me wanted to go off on this woman, but there's also this part of me that's like, huh, this is the first time that this happens and it pisses me off. I wonder, you know, what people had, what people went through. Like, I just want to know and maybe it'll arm me a little better to -hmm. face things differently or maybe it'll give me a desire to intentionally create community and to make myself accessible to younger queers at some point. And I don't know. Yeah. So many thoughts. Yeah, you just brought up, man, I have so many things I want to say now. Um, but the first thing I want to say is, do you know the book, uh, The Lacuna by Barbara Kingsolver? I do not. I can, uh, I have it. Um, now, it's written by a cishet 
a white woman, obviously, but it's about a Mexican-American artist, gay artist, during the Lavender Scare, and it's very well written. Um, Frida Kahlo has a like cameo in it like cool. shows up um but it's it's kind of where I got my first introduction to like the lavender scare aspect of the red scare uh, and it's very 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 good yeah I think a lot about you were talking about making yourself accessible to younger queers and I think that's something I think about a lot in my own experience because I do have kids and I also I really like youth I mean I know you've worked with youth I have a few young people in my life and it's I, I love having being that person for other people, being the person young yeah. people can come to and talk to and say, is this OK? Is this normal? Um, I think that's part of what kind of led to the birth of this podcast, honestly, is just kind of how can I make this even more of a hobby, even more of a thing? Yes. But yeah, just really feeling I mean, I grew up like as I've mentioned before, I grew up very Christian. I grew up in, in a very kind of sealed bubble of just people who were conservative Christians. I went to a Christian high school and I, I knew I was queer from an early age as a lot of people do, but I really didn't get the chance to start kind of exploring what that meant until I was already a parent, until I was in my early 20s, until I was in a, you know, very hetero marriage and suddenly was like, this is like none of this is not me this thing that I've kind of been running from for a long time and a lot of the time you know I think back and I see the few people who I encountered who I can see in retrospect were kind of seeing that in me and were trying to empower that in me a little bit but um it's a different kind of intersectionality but like yeah finding people who know that experience and are queer and it's obviously easier for me as a white person, but it really is the, the more kind of intersections you have, the kind of narrower it gets and you can be talking to somebody and you think you have the same experience. But like something I've been noticing a lot is uh, older feminists who are TERFs a lot of the time, oh, trans exclusive feminists, right? Um, though they don't deserve the term feminist, in my opinion. They don't. Um, yeah, and it's just kind of finding those people who are who can not who can get it that's a different thing (laughs) I mean I've got a list (laughs) (laughs) but who can understand your experience and give you wisdom but I think a lot of the time at least for me I I have a fear of elders I have a fear of quote-unquote adults um, or the people who would have been adults when I was a child because I've had so many let me down Mm -hmm. and after a while you just like don't trust anyone over 30 right like after a while that just becomes part of you yeah Um, so to bring it back from to the book again there was just something so nurturing about having this this cheerleading chorus just being like you can do it you can do it we believe in you Mm -hmm. we've been there we're holding you up Mm -hmm. exactly that's the that's the thing that we always want right like and and I think we see it whenever there's like this wide raging careful I'm about to expose my left-leaning slightly (gasps) anarchist views of the world but um yeah these moments where there's you know social tumult uh Tumult? Is that an English word? Tumult, tumult. I'm not sure how you I'm say it. I'm thinking in French. I'm really bad at um, pronouncing words. Cool. So uh, whenever uh, social movements happen <laughs> um, that are led by youth, right? Like think like Arab Spring, Maple Spring here, uh, the, the the Quiet Revolution, uh, May 68, etc. You need to a certain extent also to have a couple of beacons from the previous generation that can also give you access to the information and how to reach the people from the the older generation and and hold you up and give you that validation that can allow for things to move forward and that chorus that's exactly what they're doing they're saying like we are here we went through crap you need to do this so that others can then move forward as well and it's not like come and suffer with us right it's not this victim mentality and I think that that's the interesting thing also about the voices in that chorus is that it's not about like oh we suffered for you it's no we fought because we believed that this was important we died because we were who we are now from that things have changed you need to be able to be who you are in order for the next generation to come and be who they are whatever that looks like and in order for things to keep changing also because i i do really think one of the biggest 
um, tasks that our generation of queers has is making the LGBTQ movement um, accessible to trans people, making it inclusive of trans people, because that's a place that the queer community has um, just failed again and again and again. And, you know, it's been so encouraging on the 50th anniversary of Pride to see so much like Stonewall was started by a black trans women, woman. Um, it's about time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm thinking of just like from a personal perspective, last year I went to the um, Anglican Diocese Pride Mass uh, in Montreal at the big cathedral. I don't often go, but I went and um, was just wildly disappointed because there was no mention of trans people in the entire liturgy. The whole liturgy was basically just about c- cis white gay men. Ugh. And um, sorry, <laughs> so I was I was very disillusioned, very disenchanted, and I I kind of just like stopped going to the cathedral for a long time. But a very dear non-binary trans friend of mine saw it and said this is garbage stepped in is writing the liturgy this year is preaching the homily this year and has become the director of uh queer stuff at the cathedral so that's kind of that's a, a way i see this movement just queers making space for the right kind of change um yeah. and that's a really interesting example of kind of the queer elders getting it wrong and the queer younger generation being like wait a second we need to fix this we need to make this better yeah Yeah. it's almost it's funny because that just makes me think i'm like oh yeah okay so the queer community is not above capitalism and the patriarchy whoops um we'll get there slowly and then we'll get something else wrong yeah (laughs) yeah but i Um, think we have to be uh we have to be careful and we have to give ourselves permission to fuck up. Yeah. And um, I think that's, that's, yeah, that's crucial. That's really crucial. Yeah. We just have to leave space for ourselves to make mistakes and then we have to be able to own them and say, hey, messed up. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Let's move forward. Yeah. Uh, won't do that again. Because there's no forward momentum without admitting to fault. Yes. It just doesn't happen. On that note, I, um, <laughs> I was really delighted to see trans inclusion. In this book. This is a book about uh, young gay boys, and one of them is trans, and it's not a big deal. Um, I loved Avery kind of building up and building up to coming out to his new boyfriend. Yes. They have this instant connection at queer prom, and the next day they're meeting up, and Avery is just so nervous to come out. And and his boyfriend is just like, okay. Like, uh, what is he? He says something like, if that was what it took to make you who you are, then I'm so glad it happened. Ooh, yeah. Chills. Yeah. I think that's it. That's where this book gets it right. It gets it right. And it's the kind of book that um, I strongly recommend to every adult who knows a queer youth. Just put it in the bookshelf let them fall on it. Let hetero kids fall on it. It's such a, it's so sweet. And it's it's very, it's very, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Wholesome. You know, it's very wholesome. And the youth involved are just, they're smart. Yeah. They're caring. They're, 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 you know, some of them have been parented by some good humans. And this is the kind of book that, I want to make sure that uh, youth can read and yeah. can get their hands on and can go, hmm, maybe it isn't about what's in your pants. Maybe it is about who you are. Yeah. You know, maybe it isn't about us being in a relationship forever and proving a point. Maybe it is about friendship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe the uh, building community. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, this one, I was just a minute ago being like, why didn't I read this as a teenager? This would have been so good for me to read as a teenager. It was published in 2013. Oh, yeah. So that's the year I graduated university. So there that's why I have it, didn't <laughs> read it as a teenager. I love in the author's note, something that keeps kind of coming back to me is David Levithan says, like, I, I couldn't have written this book before. And now I finally can write this book and, and has just a litany of thank yous to all the people who have made it possible. Mm. And that just continues this theme of community and family and finding your people. 
in a really beautiful way that made it really personal. You know, I think part of this book's power is that it's very personal to the author. And that is always going to make a book strong. Absolutely. I really appreciate the many forms of relationship and the many forms of community that are in this book. That's something that struck me a lot. We have Harry and Craig who are ex-boyfriends who still want to break this world record and love each other and support each other through this marathon they're kissing for 32 hours their lips have to touch the whole time and they're holding each other up when they when they want to pass out and they're just they have this circle of friends supporting and protecting and encouraging them um that's really powerful and it's based on a true story and it's based on a true story i think that that's really important yes it's based on a true story there are these two dudes who were like "Mm -mm, we're gonna do this and i was like this is awesome yeah way to serve it to the man yeah just to just to elaborate the guinness uh book of world records longest kiss does not stipulate that it has to be a hetero kiss so these two guys said well we're gonna make sure that the longest kiss is held by two guys love it yeah what a blow to toxic straight masculinity eh like uh, and i loved the choice to make them friends rather than a couple like that's really i think really powerful and I think that it also, ta- it says something about the power of queer friendships. And I think that that's something that um, we don't talk about enough. Um, and the importance of, especially in small queer communities where, you know, the person that you date when you break up with them, there is a high likelihood that you will see them again because the community is that small. So you're going to bump into each other at whatever kind of events, parties, gatherings, potlucks, um, you name it. So the ability to talk about friendship and the fact that sometimes love changes and there are different reasons why couples or throuples or whatever relationships don't work out um so i think that that was really lovely and also to show that it's not because two people split that yeah it's not because two people split that it's it's over that they don't have a higher purpose you know that their their combination of of personalities and energies isn't it doesn't fly away it just it's useful I loved what you said about there being different kinds of love and love being able to change. Mm. I think that's something that's really powerful. I think about my best friend who we've been best friends since we were 11. We met and just kind of clicked and we're both queer and we sort of came out at different times. I think I actually even came out before she did, which Mm -hmm. is really wild. And she was the first person I came out to and like... You know, we've kind of, we have this really strong friendship that's based on this shared cause, and there's something just so really, really wonderful about that. But throughout the time, we'd have people be like, so are you dating? Are you girlfriends? And it's kind of like, well, no, because like, it's it's more that it's different than that. It's more than that. It's more special. And it's like, I think it's really important to acknowledge. I think sometimes straight people are like, oh, if my lesbian daughter has a sleepover with her friends they will be girlfriends and not actual friends and it's like well no like sometimes you're just friends like or not just friends because just friends makes it sound like friendship is somehow less oh my god no that's it and friendship is so much so it's so crucial especially when like you were saying a bit earlier you have to grieve like the changing of family dynamics and 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 your people you know your reference people have to change your friends stay and they're the ones who will prop you up and they're the ones to whom you can say the embarrassing thing of like hey uh, I was holding my girlfriend's hand and I got a dirty look and who will be able to look at you and say I'm sorry that sucks as opposed to someone being like well you forget about them and like people will people suck don't even worry about what they say what matters is that you're happy (laughs) that's (laughs) This is beside the point, but one of my least favorite things is when someone says to another person, this person did something that made me feel shitty. And that person goes, you know what, don't even think about them. It's just like, no, no, no. The important thing is that they made me feel shitty. Yeah. Yeah. And we need friends that understand us. And I think that having, I mean, I'm someone, I like compartments in my life and I have friends for different things, but it's incredible how recently as I've been going through through some personal life changes uh, surrounding my queerness, uh, it's been really important for me to be able to 
almost be like anchored by my queer friends and to be able to go to them and not have to explain and not have to justify and and all that so it's yeah those are real important yeah yeah I have a queer community for the first time in my life right now and it's just it's such a life changer and I yeah it's just I would not have made it through the last two years I don't think without that and it's rad so we have Harry and Craig, who are exes and friends. We have Peter and Neil, who have been together for ages. Oh, yeah. And at 15. Yes. It's so cute. Um, and are just kind of, I mean, I loved how they are so much just an established couple. Yeah. Like, I was like, these seem like two grown-ass adult men. Okay, so there were a couple of moments where I was like, okay. These are like 15-year-old grandpas. Like, I imagine them Neil's like... pajamas. Yes, exactly. Just like sitting in their PJs with like flannel blankets and like just like drinking whatever warm beverage and watching a rerun of a Judy Garland movie or something. Holy stereotypes. But like, um, yeah, no, it's just... I, I just imagined two Kurtz from Glee sitting side by side. It's little curtain blame. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I mean, their relationship was just, I was just like, okay, this is just my relationship. Like, we've been together, you know, we ha- actually have only been together two years, but we have a baby. So, like, that, yeah. ca- it's like catalyst. And we've known each other for, like, five years. And it was go. just kind of like, yeah, this is just like, you just, I like that they, like, put on their pajamas on FaceTime. They're just, like, hanging out. It's so sweet. But then, um, I love the scene where Neil you know, who is already out to his parents is like, wait, I need you to acknowledge this. I need you to say Neil is gay and Peter is his boyfriend because his family through this whole relationship has just kind of been like, well, you know, they're very good friends Mm -hmm. and they hang out a lot and, um, (laughs) you know, have not been being outright non-affirming, but also haven't been outright affirming. And um, the other thing I love is all the different forms of affirming and non-affirming families we have in this book oh yes and we have Avery and Ryan who are the new couple and Avery is a trans boy and they're just kind of figuring things out um and we have Cooper who is very alone who is kind of trying to build a community through strangers online and is a very difficult story to read very difficult story to follow really really sad yeah (laughs) yeah and here's the thing I related to Cooper a lot, and I think a lot of people do. I think Cooper is a character. That, yeah, Cooper's Cooper's such a relatable character. It's such the story. We live in bubbles. Yeah. Right? And you're not supposed to... You're supposed to put up a front, and you're supposed to be, like, out and proud and at every moment of the day, and you can't have, like, a day where you're questioning why society hates you so much or why, you know, things are tough. And you want people around you and where do we find solace the internet or as some people call it beyonce's internet which i really like Uh, (laughs) (laughs) thank you twitter um so yeah so like it makes perfect sense that that's where cooper would turn uh and and just the ability to build links and those links can be so strong and then shattered in an instant because you're talking to a computer screen you're not talking to a human being and oh oh I related hard there were some elements of Cooper's story that also related really strongly to me and I think the biggest one the thing that really got me in the feelings um and and in the memories was when he's very deliberately breaking all of those bonds he suddenly realizes the only sense of community I have is through the internet and now I'm going to destroy that and that self-sabotage that just deliberately cutting off the last ties you have that is something I have done like you know and I felt it just so intently I think it's so important that the story is in this book agreed because without it you don't get the whole picture absolutely and it also opens the door to talk about isolation yeah um because i think that that's something that you know there's a trope that we see a lot right now uh in all of pop culture which is um you know the super affirmed gay teen Mm -hmm. and 
that's real awesome and stuff, but that isn't the case everywhere. And I think the safest place sometimes to begin the process of self-affirmation is online. Yes. Because it's safe. It's, it's, it, it's not going to blow up in your face, so to speak. Um, and I think that that's something that needs to be put out there also as an option for youth is to say like, hey, look, there's Facebook groups. You know, like we're fortunate in Montreal, we've got like community centers for gay youth and things like that, like lots of activities. But it's not always accessible. I think that when you're questioning, when you're in a period of I'm not sh- maybe and then you fall into perhaps a little bit of uh, internalized homophobia where yeah. you hate yourself a little bit and you're upset with yourself and try to fight against it because you're realizing that, you know, certain things might be a bit more challenging and that certain people might pose certain judgments on you and things like that. Um, it's nice to know that it's nice to give that message to youth. You are allowed to go online and you're allowed to question and you're allowed to want but you're also allowed to come out of that at yeah. a certain point and you are worthy of being loved by human beings who can see you and touch you but those links online through FaceTime also can be real yeah yeah they can be in the era of uh Tinder grinder her bumble whatever um look yeah people meet online yeah I get really frustrated when people talk about the internet as an isolating force because a lot of people say youth these days they're always in their phone they're not making links they're not Mm -hmm. talking to each other and um, I mean youth today are on their phones because their phones are where they can find community you know where are you going to find a community if you're if you're somewhere that is a very conservative, very closeted region, where are you going to find other queer people to talk to? Um, you know, Tinder has the great thing of having it be local, right? Like I think other apps too. I have never used a dating app. Full disclosure. Lucky <laughs> um, you. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it gives you the ability to find people in your region, mm-hmm. and also, I mean, as a queer teenager who had. Um, no access to queer people. I did not have the ability to go places without my parents' knowledge. I I didn't have the ability to meet up with anybody without my parents' knowledge. Um, the internet was a lifesaver. The internet was the only place I saw that a being bisexual is a thing. That just because you're attracted to men doesn't mean you're not attracted to women that it's okay, that it's normal. You know, I had, thank God, I had like Scarletine and Girl.com, which was a hot mess, but had stuff on it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it really was the early, it was like the the frontier era of the internet where nothing was organized and yeah. like everything was just slapped against each other. Um, so I also discovered some wild shit, yeah. but the internet saves teenagers' lives Heck every yeah. day, every single day. Oh my God, Yes. Absolutely. I think that's, it's so important to just acknowledge it. And we keep forgetting that there's also so much policing, right? There's an expectation that everyone who is a white gay man is going to sound like a black Southern woman. And like that there's like, there's like all these, yeah, there's this policing happening, right? Like every gay man should be like one of the guys from Queer Eye, basically. And like, hi, we contain multitudes. We do all of us do so it's important you know to get out of this trope of like oh you're a girl you're queer okay so you play hockey you like woodworking uh you wear lots of flannel probably own a subaru like and if you don't you're not queer you're not queer enough yeah if you don't it's because like you're just like like putting it on as a costume i mean we're gonna talk about biphobia later (laughs) but like absolutely yeah um yeah exactly policing there's so much diversity in the queer community and yeah you don't have to perform anything you can just be who you are yes that is a 15 year old gay (laughs) old grandpa couple yeah i love it yeah if i'm gonna be completely honest i actually struggle with that quite a lot often that i'm like am i queer enough i don't know i'm in like a I don't know, externally het looking relationship and like, yeah, I don't know. You're not necessarily going to figure it all out when you're a teenager. I think the, 
I think that from ex- from my experience anyways and from from lots of conversations had at school and things like that my realization is that I think we're all sort of on that boat everyone's kind of like am I queer enough like I don't I don't present as queer so like I don't have a, an asymmetrical haircut maybe I should shave part of my head there you go <laughs> um you know I'm older uh, so if I go to a queer party and everyone is 19, I certainly don't feel queer enough. But like inside my skin, I definitely feel a hyper queer. So, you know, it's it's about finding what's right for the individual. Yeah. And understanding once again that we are not a monolith. There's a, a billion ways to be hyper queer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And this book offers those like offers a lot of a lot of different modalities for being queer not all of them obviously because there are multitudes but yeah obviously we were lacking um some some i I would have loved just a, a queer girl just just one and i know that's something that's lacking sort of in the space and out there it's just representation of queer women like I think the L word did an interesting job but the L word is long gone (laughs) and outdated I tried to watch it recently Mm. Mm -hmm. doesn't hold up that great Um, but we need more representation and and that's the if I had to say like I had one little wish would have just been for like one one (laughs) queer woman of color, maybe yeah. disabled, maybe, uh, or like neurotypical or something. Just like, hey, let's just. Yeah. I will say, um, I in David Levithan's works in general, yeah. that representation is there. I know. And um, I, I do find it, like, I think it was a choice to make this like very much a gay book, which is why I chose it for this week rather than one of the other like queer weeks but yeah I feel like even if there was a parent or a teacher or yeah I don't know I guess maybe the friend who was a girl might have been or was she straight she was such a minor character yeah that's it there just weren't that many women in this book at all no it was a very very much a book about men and that's okay and 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 it's really not a critique about the book and I think like it's I think it's more just because like I find it so good yeah (laughs) like I just I I want it to be good and represent me yeah um because I I can easily uh put myself in several of the situations in this book have you read other David Levithan's um, I realized that he wrote Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Yeah. Um, so I had. Okay. Read. He wrote one uh, that now, I can't remember. The Realm of Possibility. Okay. Which I am rereading now. Um, and it's wild to be rereading it because this book changed my life as a teenager. It was it was one of the first books I'd seen that had queer people everywhere. It has uh, it talks very frankly about eating disorders. It's just like it's it's interwoven. It's written in verse. It's interwoven stories of like twenty three teenagers, and it's just the whole tapestry is there, and it's very very good. And uh, I think David Levithan is just really at the height of his power when he's writing all these stories that interweave and work together and do this one effort. Uh, yeah, his um, writing is quite masterful. But I do think this one is really special. Oh, yeah. Uh, I like the Walt Whitman element also. Yes. Yeah. Same more. Uh, so Walt Whitman, canonical queer poet who is taught as a straight poet for some bizarre reason, even though every other one of his poems is about men having sex um, with each other. Walt Whitman is where the title comes from, Two Boys Kissing. Um, Walt Whitman's verse is woven in. There is a bust of Walt Whitman at the kiss, which is brought very deliberately by Tariq, who we haven't talked about, but who is a wonderful character. And that, for me, just adds even another generation of ancestry. So we have the ancestor, we have the gay ancestors of the AIDS epidemic, and then we go further back and we have Walt Whitman as sort of this great grandfather. Um, and and back and back and back, you know? Yeah. And there's something wonderful about that. And I mean, you have Walt Whitman, who then drew a lot on the classical world, which the queerness of the classical world is problematic as fuck, but like <laughs> exists, you know? Um, there's just something so... Presenting queerness as ancient yeah. and holy and 
part of the human experience back and back and back is so powerful so important i love that um i i did definitely defer to you because uh we don't study english poetry here um and as someone who uh, went to school in the french system i think uh the only times i'd heard about walt whitman was in perhaps my girl uh, <laughs> or my girl too uh, oh yeah when she goes to California so uh, <laughs> yep so that is my uh, awareness of okay. this poet uh, <laughs> he, yep. he's so I took a seminar on Walt Whitman oh. in in school because I studied English literature and I focused on poetry and a seminar on um, Whitman Dickinson and I think Thoreau I only really paid attention mm-hmm. to Whitman and Dickinson Whitman and Dickinson too queer American poets who are taught as not queer American poets and it was I mean not at the university level but I think the general knowledge of them and it was just so amazing to to read to have the permission to read their writing through a queer lens when I was in university and so having Whitman pop up here as this this jolly great uh Jolly gay grandfather. I love it. Uh, was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I also really loved when the teacher shows up at the kiss, who is the gay teacher, and the whole chorus is like, oh my God, Tom's still around. <laughs> we know him. You know, he was with all of us in the hospital. He's been there and yeah. been there. And that continuity yeah. um, is so exciting. And just this idea that kind of that generation, like there's a person who's been alive for that whole generation, you yeah. know? It, it, it's... Stonewall was 50 years ago. It's not that much time. And new. Yeah. But gay people have been around since time immemorial. Hell yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. We've been around. Mm. Yay. Sorry, we just uh, shook fingers. We did a, we did a queer handshake. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to talk about biphobia. Oh, I was actually going to talk about, bi- I was just saying we'll talk about biphobia in the bisexual week. Sounds good. And I'm trying to keep this focused on on, on gay stuff. Cool. Even though I like to make everything about biphobia because that's my experience. <laughs> cool. You're welcome to hop on the bi episode if you want to. It's I'm next out. week. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I'm really glad that we read this book for this week because I feel like if we're talking about pride, like pride week is about gay history, mm-hmm. queer history. Um, and this book is about gay history and it's short. That's the other thing. This book is less than 200 pages. It's great. And it's a page turner. And it's a page turner. I read it in a, in a day, I think. Um, there's so much packed into those 200 pages. Mm-hmm. Again, a thing David Levithan does well. Short books that really, really, really pack it in. You know what I'd like is a soundtrack to this book. Ooh. For some reason, I feel like... This book would probably require a really great playlist. Yeah. You know? I want the playlist that the friend made for the kiss. Yeah. I wonder if David has that. That would be a really cool thing to check out. Yeah. 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 I feel like there's... Yeah, there's... Because there's so much love involved, like, I feel like... And especially, uh, you know, love in adolescence... Music is inevitably tied into it. The cheesier, the better. Thank you very much. Um, But yeah, I'd love to just, I feel like this almost requires like something really good playing in the background that makes you feel all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. No, this book, I would like to see it as a play. We should see if anybody's doing that. Maybe we should just do that. We could. (laughs) Um, You heard it here first. (laughs) I'm about to take a script writing class. There you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's very theatrical Mm -hmm. and multi-sensory. Ooh. Like it gives you a lot. It gives you a lot of noise and a lot of images and a lot of feelings. Definitely a lot of feelings. Yeah. A lot of feelings. Yeah. So much... Yeah, yeah, just so much care and and interest and just wanting mm-hmm. to, I, I wanted to hold these guys, particularly yes. Connor. I just yeah. I wanted to give him a hug and, you know, be like, it gets better and then put him in touch with, yeah, you know, every and gay man in the world. That I, I was know. really, really glad that Connor did get the second chance. Yeah. I was really glad that, that Connor got a new start yeah. um, because, man, I remember being a teenager and hearing it gets better and just being like, ju- just <laughs> feeling like that was so empty. 
you know? Fair. And now being an adult and realizing, yeah, it gets so much better. And trying to figure out how to communicate that and how to be like, you know, you just got to make it a few more years, like, uh, which can sound like a life sentence of sometimes, you know, of but, um, but I do feel like this book kind of helps, it's, you know? Yes. Yeah. Two Boys Kissing by David Levithan is exactly that. It is an ode to It Gets Better. I think it is a great way of putting it mm-hmm. this is something i think we ha- we have alluded to and alluded to and alluded to and have not said outright also this book is a testament to the power of community in saving lives is a testament to the power of affirming your children mm. to save their lives preach look up some of the stats on lgbtq teens especially trans teens oh. actually Parents being affirming and supportive is the number one deterrent for suicide, suicidal ideation, and suicide attempts. That That is the number one thing you can do to protect your kids. Yep. Um, it doesn't have to be a parent having one affirming adult in their life does the same reduction, the same harm reduction. Yeah. One affirming adult. So like... Be that adult. Be that adult save kids lives you want to like you want to reduce suicide in our youth be that adult affirm kids yeah believe them i kind of can't believe we're still fucking saying this (laughs) but wholeheartedly agree no it's uh it is an enraging thing and it's an enraging thing to read about uh and i think that it is really important for this message to get out and to spread like wildfire um, be there. Yeah. Listen. Shut up. Yes. Don't. No need for your opinions. Uh, no need for a peanut gallery. Listen. Care. If you don't know, say that you don't know. Inform yourself. Get out there. Yeah. Get out there. Go get training. Go go out to your local queer community space and ask questions. Otherwise, a simple Google will do. If you get on Google, you will find the spaces in your area that can educate you. Yes. Don't be lazy. Do the work. There you go. Be an yeah. ally. Yeah. Yeah. Being an ally isn't just saying, yeah, I love queer people. Being and buying an ally. things with uh, buying things with with rainbows on yeah. them. That's that's not enough. No, do the work. Look it up. Find out what you're missing. Find out what you're fucking up and admit to that and and grow from do it. Do better. Yeah, yeah. Um, being an ally is an active thing. It's not passive. It's not something that you can put um, on your Twitter bio or on Instagram and be like, I'm an ally with you doing a peace sign. It's something that you do. And it is something that you have to work on. And it's not about putting yourself down for others, but it's about holding out a hand to someone who is more marginalized than you are. It's about saying, I can help elevate your voice in spaces that you don't have access to. Um, It says, I am going to fight for you to be seen as a whole, valid, beautiful, lovable human being. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All of that. All of that. All of that. This could be a this could be a longer conversation. <laughs> um, also, like, don't make it about your voice. Make it about other people's voices. And don't ask for cookies. Don't ask for cookies. No one's gonna make celebrate cookies. you for yeah. Make cookies for the others, but don't expect people to be like, oh wow, this person is doing so much for this other. No, that's not. I think that's my not the goal. my least favorite thing that I do see sometimes is people calling themselves allies and never sharing. Say say it's like a a white feminist ally. I don't know. Maybe she's queer. Uh, but like never sharing the voices of trans women, never sharing the voices of black women, never sharing the voices of indigenous women. Um, never. Maybe she's thin and she's never amplifying fat voices. Like if you are calling yourself an ally and you are only putting your own voice forward and maybe a couple of voices that either like look like you or agree with you, mm-hmm. that's not 
being an ally that is taking credit for being an ally and doing none of the work. Ooh, Jeffrey, you are taking us to Allyship Church. I am here for it. I have a very large hat on. Very, very large hat. And I am fanning myself. It's a good hat. I dig it. Um, (laughs) So anyway, affirm youth. Read this book. Give this book to youth. Um, David Levithan, thank you for like doing a big part in saving my life when I was a teenager. Gotta say. Yep. Um, and also making me cry <laughs> this week in a good way. Big time. Yeah. Great book. Great book. I'm really excited to do all of the queer books forever now. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. Be... We don't cover straight books anymore. <laughs> no mess. <laughs> We're taking over. <laughs> the future is here and the future is queer. <laughs> <laughs> We're here, we're queer, we've got plants. We're making your day better. Thanks for listening to Yeah! (laughs) If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast, and individually, I'm at caddy, double underscore, D. I'm at Tefferbear. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons Catherine Resch, Erica Stuchberry, Lizzie Tenhove, Kat McGuire, and Chantal Thomas. We have merch! Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at uh, Public. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe share this episode with a friend who is queer or like has a queer kid. Ooh, love it. Or with a youth worker. Yeah. Mm. Um, Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by me, Tefra Jemian, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Join us next week for Bisexuality. Whoop whoop! Hi everyone, I am Hughes the Younger. And I'm Hughes the Elder. We also go by Nick and Jim, respectively. We are the father-son duo and the co-hosts of Canada's Young Leaders. CYL is a podcast that Nicholas and I put together and bring out every week. We interview a really exciting special person. We take a lot of time to find them and they bring to you new ideas and new messages that we think you'll find interesting. We are really trying to push the dialogue forward, introduce our listeners to big ideas in realms of immigration, indigenous reconciliation, climate change. Ultimately, we want to push Canada forward on these issues and really create a better country for all of us. So please tune in. We release episodes every Monday and you can find us on the Upward Network. On September 16, 1993, NBC aired the first ever episode of Frasier, a spin-off series about psychiatrist Dr. Frasier Crane, a much-loved Seattle shrink from Cheers. Ten days earlier, a baby was born. A baby who, we'd come to learn, was destined to have someone pay him $264 to watch through every episode of Frasier with different special guests, unpacking the deeper themes behind each episode. That baby is me, Tom Zalatni, and this is a terrible, terrible idea. Tune in to They're Calling Again right here on the Upford Network.